For the Athletic Podcast Network, this is The Update. I'm Adam Copeland. On today's show, we'll talk to Marty Lurie, who does the Giants pregame and postgame show for KNBR 104.5 and 680 on weekends, about the Giants' upcoming potential spring training getting started maybe sometime in mid-February. Bob Nightingale of USA Today reported this week that Major League Baseball teams should prepare for a 162-game season. They started last year's spring training in February before they were cut short due to COVID-19. Also, last week, the passing of a baseball legend in Tommy Lasorda of the LA Dodgers. All stuff we can talk about with Marty Lurie, who joins me next. It's Wednesday, January 13th. It is always fun when we can talk baseball with Marty Lurie. You hear him on weekends in the park and on Giants pregame on weekends on KNBR 104.5 and 680. But also, Marty, I just haven't really gotten a chance to talk to you, man. We normally spend these summers together, weekends in the park, talking baseball. We got none of that this year, and now we have the truncated season. I just needed a Marty fix, and I needed a baseball fix. How you doing, man? Uh, it's funny. I'm very happy to hear from you. You know, I'm down in Arizona. And I always tell people, you know, even in these troubled times, as soon as you get into January and the sun is out, if you listen carefully, you can hear the bat hit the ball. So if you listen carefully now, you can hear the vaccine going in your arm. That's basically what's going on. (laughs) But but we look forward to baseball. There's a lot going on right now. And uh, baseball made it happen last year. And we'll see if they can do it again. But there are a lot of legal issues going on now that, have dictated some of the statements that have come out recently. You know, last season, and it's funny, you said, you know, once the calendar turns and when you get to January is when you start to get those pangs, you start to feel like you want baseball. I was getting them in November and December, and I think, Marty, it's because we didn't really get it at all. We got 60 games. We got about three months of it when you count the postseason. But baseball is the one sport. I guess hockey was a little shortened as well. Baseball is the one sport that really did not get a full season in. But we've seen now the NBA was able to do the bubble, and now they're up and running with their full season, though they've run into some COVID problems in the last couple of weeks. The NFL Looks like they're going to get through their entire season, though not without incident. The college football season just wrapped up. Does that give you confidence? Does it make you feel like this thing's going to happen, at least in a more normal state for 2021? I think so. Last year was so abnormal how things changed immediately uh, in the middle of March there. But this year, as I alluded to earlier, the labor agreement says baseball players will show up February 15th and play a 162-game schedule. They want to be paid for 162 games. The owners have said, okay, show up in uh, February and we'll be prepared for spring training and 162 games. Now, the issue becomes, which they did say in the statement, and Bob Nightingale wrote about it, that because of what could happen with the federal government and with state governments and with health protocols, this may be changed. So where we are right now is we're looking at a full season. But, of course, we're at the mercy, and I said this last year, we're at the mercy of COVID to see how that impacts. But to your point, baseball now has gone through it once, and they understand the protocols that have to happen. And I think the players are on board with it. I really do. They want to be paid, and they want to do it, and now it's up to the owners to create a safe environment for them to get it done. So we'll see more this year. I think we'll see fans at the ballpark in limited numbers. I think we'll see a little lesser of the restrictions on the players because of vaccines and them being vaccinated. So the season may not start March 28th. They may start May 1st. They may get 140 games in. They may get 162 in with seven-inning doubleheaders. 
but they will do their best to get a more normal baseball season this year. I firmly believe that. And I think, to your point, the fear of the unknown is is sort of gone now, right? Because you said it. They've been through it. They've seen other leagues go through it now. You kind of know what works and what doesn't. I guess what comes to mind for me is I wonder how many risks they'll take as far as travel is concerned. We saw last year the Miami Marlins were sitting in a hotel room for like two weeks trying to pass COVID, and it ripped through their team. They were pulling players off waivers. But I want to know, are they going to be able to fill out a schedule this year? Will the Giants go east? Will they cross the Mississippi? Will they get to play the Mets and the Marlins and the Phillies and some of the teams in the Eastern Division, or do we think they're going to try to play it safe just to get through the year? Maybe do what the NBA did. What would you think about releasing maybe just a first-half schedule up front and then dealing with the second half when you get there? Well, that's not the way baseball usually works. I think they're going to come up with a, a schedule of games and attack it and go at it and see what happens. Now, the difference is this year there will be AAA teams playing. You won't have the, you know, the 60 players sitting around in Sacramento that they're going to try to get the minor leagues, at least AAA. Now, AA, A, and below, they're going to have to wait to see what happens. But I think baseball is going to attack it, and I think they're going to come up with a schedule and then play it by ear from there. They learned many things last year about adding to the roster and how many people they want to have under control. And I think it's important for them to get the TV money to get this thing to October and do everything they can to do it. So as far as travel is concerned, I think there will be a schedule. I just question when it will start. I think that's the biggest issue because if it starts in May, there's a good chance that there could be a lot of vaccines administered by May and there'll be a lot more confidence in travel. I just hate that we may go through a whole nother, uh, you know, spring training or, or a few months here where we're discussing the, the length of the season. It was just, it was such a pain last year to do it. And then we finally get into the season and it was so nice to have baseball. And there's actually been some activity while the free agent market hasn't been huge, Marty. The trade market for at least the, uh, I guess it's just the Padres and the Mets are allowed to be involved in the trade market. But it's been kind of fun to watch these teams build. The Padres one maybe a little bit more scary because they're right here in our backyard. Giants are going to have to see Blake Snell and these guys. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, of course, Steve Cohn taking over the Mets and the New York, you know, you're fighting for the back page of the Post or the Daily News or Newsday or something like that. And he spent money. He got Francisco Lindor. He got the catcher McCann. And he's not done yet. He's got Carrasco. So the Mets really have captured more of the back page than the Yankees right now. The Padres are interesting to me because they're putting their money in pitching. And Adam, I tell you, when you put your money in pitching, anything can happen. Pitchers get hurt. And especially the way pitchers are these days without having regular work, you're asking for trouble. So I'm wary of the Padres. They were very good last year. But let's see. I want to see more of the Padres. They had some serious injuries at the end of the year. Clevenger is out. Lamette couldn't pitch at all. And now you bring in two more pitchers that are prone to injury. So we'll see. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Well, there's not a lot of huge names on the free agent market this winter. I know Trevor Bauer is the the obvious one, and I don't know that the Giants would be suitors for him, and it's tough to put a ton of eggs into the 60-game season basket like we had last year. You just mentioned you want to see more of the Padres. It's funny, in the back of my mind, I know that it was just, it was basically a third of the season, but there's a bunch of teams that you mentioned, the Marlins and, and you know teams that improved last year throughout the season that could be competitive this year, but we want to see what the Giants are going to do over a full 162 or over a full 145. What 
whatever the number is, I think that they're a team that can be competitive. Did they give you enough last year to let you believe that at least the process is working for the Giants? The, the hitting mechanics, the putting pitchers in different buckets, whether or not they're starters or bulk guys, did they show you enough last year to think this can extrapolate over a full season? Offensively, I think so. You know, you had Crawford and Belt and Longoria. There was no Posey. You know, you had some of the older players having good seasons. Now, can they do it again? That's a question. But they have seemed to have an idea of how to attack the baseball. And they scored a lot of runs. They hit home runs at home. And the shortened distances, I think, helped a lot. But I'm very skeptical of their starting pitching. Very skeptical. And uh, that, to me, is going to be the biggest problem. Is their starting pitching getting them to make 30 starts or 25 starts? In a 60-game season, they were very competitive. Now, the bullpen is another story. They still don't have that guy to close the game. And they brought in a lot of players who had been injured and coming off uh, the disabled list and released by other teams. And that's the way Farhan operates. And that's what he's done with the pitching. So we'll have to see where all this goes. We'll have to see where it goes pitching-wise. But hitting-wise, I think they've turned the corner. Obviously, Yastrzemski did what Dickerson did. Flores was a factor as well. The catching is going to be better this year with Posey. So hitting-wise, better. Pitching-wise, I'm still very, very skeptical of whether they can stand up to a season that's more than 140 games. I think you're totally right and that Farhan likes grabbing these guys and, and finding value in these guys, and he hasn't you know, splashed a bunch of big money on anybody quite yet. They signed Kurt Casale, as you mentioned, to be a backup catcher, and then uh, Wilmer Flores got a multi-year deal. After next season, they're going to have almost complete payroll flexibility as far as a lot of the big contracts coming off the books. What do you think about that? You think at some point they're going to make the splash, or are they just trying to get enough talent within the organization so they can identify where there is a hole? Or What, what do you make of the sort of the slow build here to getting a big-name free? Agent, Marty. I think what you just said is true. They have to see what Hunter Bishop can do, what Ramos can do, what uh, Luciano can do, what these players can do. They missed a whole minor league season last year. So you have to see what they're capable of doing. And until you know what you have, Joey Bart's another one. Until you know what you have at the major league level, Sean Jelly, Corey, there's probably a list of 15 of them. Until you know what you have in the major league level, the Giants are not going to go out and spend a lot of money. They're not going to do it. It is not the way Farhan operates. His thing is coming from the A's, where they didn't spend money, where they developed, they made some trades. There was new players coming in and out, injured players coming in and out. Farhan, if you follow his career, this is what he does. And they're not going to spend big money until they see exactly what these minor leaguers can do. And I don't blame them because the minor leaguers have got to be the core of what's going to take this team back into contention. And I think it's still going to take another couple of years to figure that out. You know, that's not a totally unique situation. I mean, you mentioned he came from the A's. He was also with the Dodgers. And if you look up and down the Dodgers roster, most of those guys are homegrown. Yeah, they've they've spent money to keep some of them. And, and you know, they've given the big contract to Kenley Jansen. And I think because they've made some big trades for guys like Manny Machado and Yu Darvish in the last few years, we think of them as a, a huge market, big budget team. And they are, but so much of their talent is homegrown. And that's kind of what the Giants are chasing now, them and the Padres. And Marty, I, I wanted to have you on sort of with the pretext of having a conversation about the Dodgers and mostly Tom 
Tommy Lasorda, just because you're the great baseball historian. Uh, you're my guy who I go to whenever I want some baseball history or a baseball lesson. And I'm just wondering, your thoughts on Tommy Lasorda? We love to hate the guy, but it's all about the rivalry. And he was a baseball lifer, man. He's what you love to hate about the Dodgers. But I think the baseball world has lost a great one in Tommy Lasorda's passing last week. Absolutely. He's a showman. He was an entertainer. He was what made the giant Dodger rivalry even, you know, bigger. You know, of course, it was gigantic in Brooklyn and New York and was big when it got out here. But then he took it to another level at Candlestick and drab old Candlestick where everyone's freezing. They couldn't wait to boo Tommy Lasorda. And he played to the crowd. He really did. And look, he's an amazing guy for baseball. He was drafted by, signed by the Phillies way back in the, in the late 40s. And the Dodgers got him. He had a tryout, believe it or not, with the St. Louis Browns in 1953. Uh, as a pitcher, left-handed pitcher, he was a tough guy. He had a great curveball. His 12-6 to curveball was unbelievable. And his fastball was so-so. But he had no control. So the Browns let him go. He came back to Brooklyn. He's kicked around with the Dodgers in the minor leagues for Montreal for a couple of years. And finally got his chance in 55. And he was a Brooklyn Dodger. And that's what he was till the day he died. And uh, he had his chance and got his, his first game against the Cardinals and three innings of mop-up relief and gave up a home run to Bill Sarney and doubled a musial. And he never won a game for the Dodgers. And finally, in 1955, they needed a roster spot for one of their bonus babies. And they said, Tommy, we're going to have to let you go back to Montreal to AAA. And the bonus baby was put on the roster, and it's number 32, Sandy Koufax. Lasorda loved telling that story. He loved it. And he would sit up in the press box with us when he was retired, and he would sit there and tell stories and talk about the game. He was one of those guys that he would sit in the lunchroom or the dining room there, and he would just talk. And it didn't matter who you were. You could pull up a chair and talk to him. He was just all baseball all the way. And he loved telling the story about Mike Piazza. Of course, this was his godson. And who knows all the connections with Piazza's father and all the rumors and all this stuff about, you know, their sort of nefarious background. But Piazza was drafted, what, the 60th round? Ridiculous. And he was drafted as a shortstop. And uh, the Dodgers brought him into Dodger Stadium and they were giving him a workout. And they hadn't signed him. And Lasorda was there. And he said, come on, I want you to sign this guy. And he said, look, Tommy, the guy can't make it as a shortstop. It's just not going to happen. And Tommy said, well, what if he was a catcher? And they said, well, then we'd sign him. He says, okay, he's a catcher. And that's how Mike <laughs> Piazza became a catcher. And that's how he got signed by the Dodgers. And he had Frank Sinatra in his office. He had all the stars of Hollywood in there. He would have special restaurants sending him linguine before the games. And he'd be eating it and offering it to you and things like that. Scott Osler did a beautiful column in the Chronicle about him. So he was just a lovable guy. He won four pennants, a couple of World Series with the Dodgers. 1988 with Hershiser was an amazing year. And he just epitomized exactly what baseball was all about, how we have that inner love for our team. It's inexplainable. But we, we live and die with that team. And for 60 years, this guy was a Dodger. And uh, I saw him. And now, can I remember him? No. 
But I saw him in the International League when the Montreal Royals would come down to play the Miami Marlins in 58 and 59. And I remember his name so well. But did I ever remember seeing him? I just can't remember that. But he was an 18-game winner with Montreal. And he would have fights with people. He was just amazing. Just amazing. And I'm glad he lived to 93. And I just feel that he gave everything he had to baseball. And his wife said to him, Tommy, I think you love baseball more than me. And of course, Tommy said, well, I probably do, but I like you better than hockey and basketball. So that was what he said to his wife. But I enjoyed him. I enjoyed him. I loved talking with him. He couldn't be more gracious. And he was what makes baseball baseball. It's, it's what he lived every day and what we could feel every time we saw him. I saw him up in the All-Star game in Seattle. And he was managing third base, coaching third base. And so I forget who hit a line drive right at him. And he went tumbling backwards and over his head and the whole thing and got up and was laughing and this and that. And there was always something going on with Tommy Lasorda. The fans in San Francisco loved him. I really believe that. There was not hate. There was a rivalry, but there was not hate. There was love for the man. It's all beautifully said, Marty, and I, I think, you know, that's why I wanted to ask you about it. I know you'd be able to share anecdotes. I know you'd be able to share your personal experiences. You could go deep on the scouting report. I had never heard the Sandy Koufax story. That's a great story. And the other element to this is as much as his Giants fans, I don't want to call it a fake Dodger title this year, the World Series uh, in the shortened season, it is kind of cool that the last game Tommy Lasorda got to watch was the Dodgers winning a World Series game. I thought uh, just, just sort of where you put that in perspective, it's kind of cool. Yeah, you know that. That's the what we do. What I talk about the romance of baseball. Did he even know what was going on? Who knows? But to us, we need that Hollywood ending. That's what baseball gives us—the Hollywood ending—and that's what we're not getting with analytics. And then we could do another podcast on that. Blake Snell coming out of the game robbed us of a Hollywood ending to that story. That rubbed baseball the wrong way. So that'll be part of what's going into. 2021 to see just how much analytics still plays a part in the pitching of baseball. Marty, you're the best, man. I can't wait to catch up more. Uh, we'll have to catch up talking more baseball. 20 minutes is not long enough. We could go forever on the stuff from this offseason. So we'll catch up again soon down the road, and hopefully we'll be in person talking baseball at some point this year. Well, I hope so, and we love having you on the show, and you add so much. You know, you understand the history of the game. You, you're in touch with everything that's going on in the current game. And uh, you're a real asset to the show. We love having you on, and, and we want to have you on again this year. I love doing it with you, Marty. So we'll, we'll catch up soon, man. Okay, take care. Seriously, Marty Lurie, my favorite guy to talk baseball with. You can throw him a topic, you can throw him a player, and he's got a scouting report, he's got the the player's history, he can read you the back of the baseball card. Marty, I knew it was the perfect guy to have on to talk just about the offseason, about his thoughts and optimism on baseball, and also the great statements on Tommy Lasorda. You didn't have to love the Dodgers. In fact, you probably hated the Dodgers if you're a Giants fan and listening to this, and maybe you hated the Dodgers if you were an A's fan back in 88 as well, but you cannot deny Tommy Lasorda a great baseball lifer, and he gave a whole lot to the game. Thank you to Marty. Thank you to Brian. Thank you to you, the listener. If you're enjoying the podcast, we ask that you rate, review, and subscribe wherever it is that you're listening. We also ask that you join us on Fridays. We'll take a deep dive into the NFL Divisional Round Playoffs. Four more great games this weekend, one of the best weekends of the year. NFL Divisional Playoffs. It all gets going this Saturday afternoon, and we'll talk about it on Friday. So join us Friday for a good football discussion. Until then, enjoy the week. We'll talk to you Friday.